It's been a couple of weeks since I've had the privilege to stand before you in the pulpit. I want to say thank you for your continued prayers, and I'd like to share a testimony of some of the things and how you're ministering to my family and myself during this time. This last week, I completed chemo treatment number five. Uh, one more is a few weeks ahead of us. Uh, each week gets each time through gets a little more difficult. One of the ways that you have ministered to my family and I is by providing meals a few times during the week. And let me share with you how that has ministered to our family. As we would anticipate and know that there's a meal coming that night, there's obviously curiosity about who's bringing the, the meal over, who's serving and ministering to us in this evening. There's an expectation, a gathering of the family when our, our calendars match, of being home together to enjoy and to receive that meal, and then to sit around the table and to enjoy that fellowship with one another without the, the strain and without the stress of having to prepare and to clean and, and to do all those things that takes place with a normal meal. So you have ministered to us by allowing us to draw near to each other around our dinner table on those evenings. And it has been a course and an action that has strengthened me. It has strengthened our family. And I want to say thank you uh, with incredible gratitude for the way you've reached out to serve us during this time and as we continue to work through this, uh, this battle with cancer and these chemo treatments. And so as we approach this season in the life of our church, I believe that these next six weeks are critical to where we are as a church. The focus over these next weeks as we read through and as we study and reflect on this passage from Hebrews chapter 10 is to draw near to God and to draw near to one another. And I can't help but think that the dinner table is, is the beautiful picture, the metaphor in which we want to focus on over these next weeks. And for me, it seems like worship. The gathering at 10.30 on Sunday morning for the people called First Baptist Church of Norman is the dinner table around which we gather. It is around which we gather to share our stories and to reflect on our days and on our weeks. It is the, the place in which we gather to receive strength and encouragement, nourishment from God's Word. It is the place that we gather to sing our songs together. And church, the reality of where we are is that, that worship has been a, a source of division in the life of this church over the last 20 years. And over these last months, we have been working diligently and very, very specifically and purposely to bring our church together so that we might sit around the worship table with one another. Church, we must be a church that's committed to gathering to worship God, drawing near to God as a people. And we must be a church that is committed in that act of worship, of drawing near to one another. Many of you attend life group with those that do not have a commitment to come to worship. And in this moment, I guess I'm preaching to the choir. But we have got to, in the life of our church, renew our commitment to drawing near to God and to each other in worship. And I want to challenge each of you in your life groups, in your Sunday school groups, to make the effort to invite and to encourage your life group members to join us in worship on a regular basis. It is critical to the life of the church 
that we gather to worship with one another, that we share the meal around the table with each other. And so over these next six weeks, we're going to be asking you to renew that commitment to worship, to renew that commitment to each other, and to join together in this place, just as we would sit around the dinner table to enjoy fellowship with God and with each other. If you would, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. This morning, because of the focus on this Second Sunday of our school year, because of the focus of Scripture, we're, we're going to go out of order a little bit, and we're going to move down to, to verse 23, which says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And this morning we want to draw near to God and to one another through Scripture. We want to let Scripture be that part of God's Word and that part of worship in which we gather around the Word of God, in which we hear from God, in which we draw near to God and to each other, recognizing in the picture of our children and of our youth that as we draw around them, as we draw near to them, as we teach them, and as we, we read and study God's Word together with each other, that it brings us closer together and it brings us closer to God as well. I'd like to draw your attention to this idea, this concept. It's, it's focused, it's emphasized here. First of all, the writer of Hebrews says that we're to, to hold fast. Next he says we're to hold fast without wavering. We're to hold fast to this confession of our hope. Church, I believe that we as, as the Christian people, as the church in America, in Western culture, that we are a people... We are a people who no longer hold fast to the truth of Scripture. We are a people that no longer hold fast to the truth of Scripture without wavering. For you see, we are easily bent and we far too often yield to the seductive winds of this world. This word hold fast means to hold firm. It means to secure and tighten down. Do we have any parents in the room? We have some parents, don't we? You know that experience of being in a large crowd with your child? And you grab a hold of them, right? You grab their hand. And it's not a gentle hold, right? You're not, you're not cupping your hands. You're grabbing them probably at the wrist. And you're holding fast. And there's nothing that's going to allow you to, or cause you to let go of your child. And you have them by this... They, they're going to call it a death grip, right? Because you're holding fast. And you are not wavering. And you are not letting go of them for any cause. Now, in our family, we were blessed. We had two parents and four kids. And so we went through crowded places like this. Right? And we did not let go. We held fast. And you know what I'm talking about? Do we hold fast to the Scripture in that way any longer but there's another way to hold fast too. We have a lot of married folks here today. We have some engaged folks. We have some boyfriend, girlfriends, those that are, are discovering the, that, that affection and love that they might have for each other. And there's another way to hold fast too, isn't it? To hold hands. Would you, if you're sitting next to your spouse, just grab a hold of their hand. Watch out for the edges. You're holding on to the hand. 
Remember that first time you held his or her hand? Do you remember how special that was? Do you remember how strong that hand was? How soft that hand was? Do you remember how safe and secure that hand felt? Do you remember when you interlocked hands like this? And there was a sense of peace and of love and of rightness about that. A tenderness and gentleness. And you held fast and you thought to yourself, now women, I don't know what you thought, but I'll tell you what your, your spouse, your boyfriend was thinking. I ain't never letting go of this hand. I'm holding fast. Church, we are called to hold fast. Sometimes like a parent. And sometimes like a lover. To God's word. And the reality and the truth of our world today is that we have let go. We no longer hold fast in any form or shape to the word of God in our lives. And today, let us be reminded that we are to draw near to God through his scripture by holding fast without wavering. William Barclay puts it this way. He says, we must never lose our grip. We must never lose our grip on what we believe. For you see, the mocking and cynical voices of this world try to make us forget God. As long as I have my hand in your hand, as long as I'm holding on, I'm not going to forget you, right? There's a constant presence and reminder. But when we let go, when we let go of God's word, it is as if we forget. And then the cynical voices that come in, the condemning and mocking voices come in, and we forget God. Church, we must commit ourselves to holding on, to holding fast to God's word. As expressed here in verse 23, holding fast the confession of our hope. The word confession is, is the word that means to speak the same thing as. It means an agreement with. A confession is, is an acknowledgement of the truth. Our confession, our hope, is both present and future. Our hope, our confession, is anchored in Jesus Christ, who throughout the book of Hebrews is referred to and called our high priest, the one who stands before us and before the Father. If you're there in Hebrews chapter 10, turn back to chapter 4. And in chapter 4, look at verses 14 through 16. Here the scripture says, again, the author of Hebrews using some of the same language, says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, in other words, there's this picture of the incarnation, that God has become man, he's come from heaven to earth, and he has dwelt among us, this is the Son of God, because of this, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but rather one who has been tempted in all things just as we are. Yet, this Jesus, yet this high priest, is one who endured without sin. Therefore, let us draw near 
Let us draw near to this high priest. Let us draw near to this Son of God, to this Jesus, with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We hold fast to this confession, this confession of Jesus Christ, because He was perfect, He was without sin, and yet we are, not, yet we are with sin. Because of the work and the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ, He comes and invites us to His throne of grace, of forgiveness, of mercy, of second chances. If we will just come and hold fast to that truth. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope in the midst of our temptations and in the midst of our weaknesses. Let us draw near to His grace. Let us hold fast His truth. Let us draw strength from His mercy and His grace in our time of need. And the reason that we can hold fast, the reason that we can put our confidence in trusting God is just exactly what we sang about a few minutes ago. So we read that verse, for God is faithful. God is faithful to fulfill His promises. God is faithful that if we will hold fast, that we can come to His throne of grace and of mercy. You see, because God keeps His promises, we can endure our trials. Because God is faithful to His promises, we can conquer our temptations. We can withstand the ridicule and the mocking. We can even bear witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we too can practice righteousness. We can be peacemakers. And we can faithfully wait for the return of our Lord. God is faithful. And because God is faithful, we have a hope. And because God is faithful, we too can be strong. This morning, I want us to focus on this idea of the, the confession of our hope is found in Scripture. That's why we gave our first and our sixth graders Scripture today. Because the confession of our hope in Jesus Christ is found in Scripture. It is what they can hold fast to. It is what they can hang on to as they grow and as they, mature, as they mature. And church, it is what even today we too can hold fast to and hang on to. For Scripture, Scripture records for us the revelation of God. God's story to us is found in the Bible. It is found in Scripture. Through creation and through history, God has faithfully revealed Himself to us. The perfect revealing of God comes to us through His Son, Jesus. And Scripture records and preserves this revelation. Therefore, the Scripture is God's Word to us for today and for always. God's Word to us, God's Scripture, is our authority for faith. It is our authority for practice. It is our authority for life. Church, this word authority is one that we, we must struggle with and wrestle with today. Is Scripture the authority of your life? Is it the authority of your faith? Is it the, the authority of the way you practice and live out your life each and every day? I believe this question of scriptural authority is of even greater importance today because the authority of Scripture is being questioned, is being attacked from all quarters in our society, 
from academia, from science, from all over. I remember back to Martin Luther's Reformation proclamation, Solo Scriptura, in which he said, Scripture is our authority. Not the words of men, but Scripture. We go back to God's Word. It's time to renew our commitment to Scripture and its authority. It is time to regrip and to hold fast without wavering. Now, let me pause. This is not a check-your-brain-at-the-door, fundamentalist, Baptist throwback. Rather, it is a challenge to each of us to engage our brains with the truth of Scripture, wrestling with and working out its truth in the midst of this generation. Church, I believe that the greatest challenge to scriptural authority today is experience. Most specifically, my experience. You see, this is my truth. You see, I must be true to my truth. Well, who are you to judge my truth? When we declare my truth, what we are declaring is that I am my own God. Rather, Scripture must be the lens through which we understand our experiences. Scripture must be the lens through which we see and understand truth and how it impacts our lives and our experiences. Today in America, when experience is primary, Scripture is often used to defend our selfish consumerism, Scripture is used, when we put experience first, Scripture is used to oppress the downtrodden. It is used to oppress the immigrant. It is used to justify our lusts and our desires. Instead of using the liberty of Christ to serve and to help others, when we put experience first, we declare license to sin, and we use our liberty to walk on and to step on others, and we presume upon God's grace Well, God will forgive me. His grace is wonderful. Instead, we must allow the Scriptures to be the lens through which we understand and interpret our experiences. We can no longer let our experiences interpret the Scripture. Rather, we must let Scripture help interpret our experiences. Church, we can no longer be a people that manipulates Scripture to justify our own experiences and our own actions. When was the last time, when was the last time you stood bare before the Scriptures and allowed them to penetrate the recesses of your heart, of your mind, of your experiences, and to shine the light of God's truth to reveal the sin and the darkness in your life? When was the last time you read God's Word and allowed it to to impact you for the first time? To allow it to, to, to shine the light in all areas of your life. Instead of making it a flashlight that you're shining and trying to find your way, you allowed that light, that spotlight to penetrate upon you and you stood bare before a holy God. And you said, God, allow your teacher, your scriptures to teach me. Allow your scriptures to bring purity and righteousness into my life. When was the last time you allowed God's word 
to have that place of authority in your life. Again, too often we gather in our holy huddles and we take our experience and we find ways that we can make Scripture fit and justify our own thoughts and our own ways of life across the whole spectrum of conservative and liberal in our nation. Church, the Scripture should have the authority in our lives as followers of Christ. You see, here's the great lie. Here's the great deception of our day. Listen to me. Here's what you hear. Scripture is that which deprives and robs us of the freedoms and joys of life, the pleasures of life. Well, the Bible is just a bunch of lists of do's and don'ts. Well, God doesn't want you to enjoy the pleasures of life. The Bible just teaches you what not to do. It disturbs me when I hear from our youth and from our college students that that they think the Bible is just a a big book that tells them what not to do and what not to enjoy in life. This is the lie that comes from the great deceiver, from the the great liar who comes to steal and to kill and destroy. Church, what we need to understand is the Scripture, in contrast to what the world has to say, that Scripture is that which unlocks the meanings and the freedoms and the joys and the pleasures of life to be experienced in their proper and right context. It is in the truth of Scripture that true love is found and nurtured. Turn with me over to 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 3. Listen to, to the words of Paul to Timothy. Timothy, this, this young mentoree in the faith. This young man that Paul loved deeply. And listen to his instruction to Timothy about God's word, about the scripture. Timothy puts it, excuse me, Paul puts it this way to Timothy. He said, the sacred writings, the scriptures particularly the the Old Testament in this context, but certainly at this time the tradition, the the New Testament tradition of the Gospels was, was at least being told orally. The sacred writings which lead to salvation. The Scriptures lead to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? The Scriptures lead to salvation. The Scriptures lead to abundant and eternal life. The Scriptures lead to forgiveness. The Scriptures lead to a new life with purpose, with meaning. The Scripture leads to second chances. The Scripture leads to removing that guilt from your life and receiving God's love and nurture. The Scriptures are not meant to to take away the pleasures and the joys and the, the meaning of life, the Scriptures are meant to introduce us to a way of life, to a way of salvation, a way of new life that brings joy and love and peace in deeper ways than we could ever imagine or experience without God's Word. Paul continues on to Timothy in verse 16. All Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired, it's it's breathed by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Do you see the progression here? The journey that we're on here, as Scripture is introduced to us, Scripture is that which comes into our lives, and, and it teaches us. It teaches about love, it teaches us about God, it teaches about how to relate to one another, how to, to better understand ourselves. 
But then as we fall into uh, to sin, as we fall into missing the mark, as we, as we fall into struggles that we have, the, the temptations that we have, not only is the same Scripture which teaches us good to teach us, but it's also there to reprove us. It's to say, you know what? We, we shouldn't have relationships based on deception and on lying. We need to be truthful to each other. And so the Scripture reproves us and calls us to be honest and truthful and trustworthy with each other. It, it, it reproves us. It shows us where our error is. It, it offers us this, this plumb line that we can measure our lives against. It offers it as a reproof to our lives. But then the Scripture doesn't leave us hanging there. It invites us unto a journey of correction. Instead of, instead of living a life of untruth, now live a life where your words are honest and kind and truthful, where your words build up each other, where your words don't tear down and deceive and, and lie, but rather where your words bring nurture and goodness and love. You see, the, the, the Scripture teaches us it reproves us. It corrects us and shows us a better way. So that why? So that we can be trained. We can be trained in righteousness. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about next weekend. Football season starts. There's a lot of guys at all different levels that have been training in football over the last weeks and some of them for their whole lives and they've been training and training and training in the righteousness of football if you'd allow me to say that right they, they, they know the rules they know the plays they know the strategies and they're ready to go and compete and that's the same thing for us we are being trained in the righteousness of life that we might live that life that we as Paul says we might compete in that life of righteousness Scripture teaches us, it reproves us, it corrects us, it trains us. Again, this is why we give Scripture to our children, to our youth. This is why we study it as adults. I mentioned college football. Domestic violence in college football have once again been in the headlines over these last weeks. I believe that the, the stories that we've heard over these last weeks are simply symptomatic of the state of brokenness, the state of confusion, the state of hedonism around the issue of sexuality in America and in Western culture. But what if we went to Scripture and said, Scripture, what, God's Word, what do you have to teach us? Where can you reprove us? Where can you correct us? Where, where can you train us in righteousness? in this area my first thought or one of my first thoughts went to first peter 3 7. i love the new living translation which each of you will receive a copy of here in a few minutes first peter 3 7 in the new living translation says this husbands husbands must give honor to your wives treat your wife with understanding as you live together she may be weaker than you are but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. Honoring your wife means so many things. But here's 
what I know it doesn't mean. Honoring your wife doesn't mean bullying her. It doesn't mean choking her. It doesn't mean beating her. It doesn't mean coming home drunk. It doesn't mean being unfaithful to her. Honoring your wife, honoring women, does not mean turning a blind eye so that others may do so as well. Rather, Scripture teaches us to love your wife as Christ loved the church. The Scripture tells us not just to treat your wife, but to treat others, guys, to treat all women in such a way that they are, you consider them as more important to your, than yourself. Again, you honor your wife, you honor women by using your words to build them up, not to destroy them. By using your freedom to serve and to enable them to become all that God has created them to be. There's more teaching on how you honor women. Honoring your wife before you're married means keeping her pure and holy before the Lord. This is not God's cynical, mean way to deprive men of pleasure, but rather a testing to strengthen and to purify your relationship. It is God's plan to enhance the intimacy that you desire and the ultimate pleasure that you desire to experience in that relationship of oneness and intimacy. Couples that remain abstinent and pure during the period of engagement are those who find themselves trained and prepared for the challenges of life, of marriage, and God willing, of children. Those who practice no restraints or disciplines during this period struggle and are ill-prepared to deal with the challenges before them. God has taught us and teaches us through His Word how to honor each other as man and woman in marriage to build a healthy and strong, not just marriage, but family and to raise our children in a way that brings purpose and love and beauty to life. Are we open to the authority of Scripture? Are we open to reading it, to allowing it to teach us, to correct us, to reprove us, and to train us in righteousness? Look at verse 17. Verse 17 sums it all up. Why is it that God wants to teach and to reprove and to correct and to train us in righteousness so that the servant of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work, every good thing that God wants us to experience and to know and to enjoy comes out of receiving the sacred writings which teaches of Scripture and which teach us and correct us and reprove us and train us in righteousness that we might live and enjoy the abundant and eternal life that God has for us. Church, we are being called and asked today to draw near to God and to each other through His Scripture, through His Word. We have given our first and sixth graders Bibles today. During our time of response, there are Bibles placed at the front of the sanctuary, New Testaments. There are Bibles placed at the back of the sanctuary as well in the foyer. 
We'd invite those of you that would like to come down forward during the, the response time to come and to, re, to receive a Bible. Certainly, if you need a New Testament, if you need a Bible, we'd ask you to take one. But the, the purpose, the intent of this time together is that we might take a New Testament, that we might take this Bible that says how to find God, living water for those who thirst. It's a New Living Translation. That we might take it and we might share it with someone else. That we might share it with them so that they might learn and read. They might be taught and trained in righteousness. They might see another way of life. Would you take one for the purpose? Would you commit yourself to take one to give to someone in your life, a neighbor, a friend, maybe someone you haven't met yet, but that you would have this at your car, you'd have it at your desk, you'd have it at your home, and you'd be willing to offer it as a gift. Church, will today, will we commit ourselves to draw near to God, to draw near to each other, and to allow God's Word to draw others close to Himself? As we close the service, I'll offer a word of prayer of blessing. And then as we stand and sing, I'd invite you to come to take a, a Scripture, to take a Bible, take one or two with you. I think we have plenty for everyone that would want one today. I know we'd have plenty for everyone to have one. Would you do that? Would you make that commitment? I'm asking you as your pastor to make this response to come and to take a Scripture, to take a Bible with you. I don't know how to make it more clear than that. Would you do so today? There's some here at the front. There's some in the back foyer. Would you respond in the balcony? You can see they're, they're in several tables in the balcony. You can retrieve a Bible. You can take one. And then during this time of response, would you pray over your Bible? Would you commit and ask God to, to show you who you can share this Bible with? Again, you may know their name already, but God knows. Would you commit yourself to that today? Let's pray.